Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, editor of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Joe Slosser, Senior Director at ISN, about new research on serious workplace injuries and fatalities. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Joe Slosser, Senior Director at ISN. We're going to talk about a um, new report, uh, new insights on serious injuries and fatalities and analysis of contractor incidents from 2018 to 2020. Uh, welcome, Joe. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I wondered uh, if before we kind of get into the report, if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and about uh, ISN. Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, my name is Joe Slosher. I've been with ISN for six years in a variety of roles, um, worked through um, helping on some of our corporate innovation. And I started a consulting practice where one of our services was heavily focused on safety culture studies across a lot of industries and uh, geographies. And, um, and more recently working and supporting some of our corporate development and outreach efforts. So uh, that's a little history on me. As far as ISN, uh, we've been around 20 years. Uh, we're based in Dallas, Texas, and we're a, a network platform that helps uh, companies manage outsourcing risk. And uh, we have about seven, 700 enterprise clients that hire services from about 75,000 contractors uh, and suppliers in about 25 industries. And they use our system to kind of collect data and manage risk. Um, one of the main risks that we help address is health and safety risk related to the work uh, that's outsourced to contractors. And uh, in addition to that, like competency training, um, contractual risk, uh, ESG is a big topic for us, cyber, financial, et cetera. And we have about 13 offices across uh, with customers in about 85 countries right now. Excellent. Um, so tell me about the white paper. Uh... How did it come about and what were your main takeaways? Yeah, so this is our second year, uh, our second, I shouldn't say second year, second time performing the, uh, the white paper. Um, and we, what we did was we developed some technology to help, um, through machine learning to take which is traditionally unstructured information that's submitted through OSHA logs, OSHA 300 logs um, into our system um, and try to capture that unstructured information, use machine learning to provide um, categories and information and insights off of, the, off of the description and some of the some of the data that's inputted in OSHA 300 log. And for those that aren't familiar, that's um, essentially for companies that have incidents that meet the recordable uh, parameters, they have to fill up that log annually, assuming they meet um, a company size threshold. Um, and we have those, we have that information uploaded into our system every year and we we have it available and we um, essentially assessed or reviewed that with the hopes of trying to categorize SIF information specifically and try to see what insights we could glean from that. And, uh, you know, what talk about some of the of the findings that you uh, came up from this, uh, from this latest white paper. Yeah. So this was um, this this uh, white paper we released contained 2020 data and we had also performed it a um, in a prior year so we had uh, some trending information to use and to see and we uh, one of the big uh, takeaways that we we're interested in understanding was what impact potentially COVID had had not only on um, the numbers of incidents but also the severity um, you know did we expect to see you know less incidents and and lower rates or higher rates and those types of things and so one of the big takeaways for me um, we saw a dramatic decrease in total aggregate days away from work. Um, so if somebody's injured and they're separated from their duty and they cannot go back to work, 
um, they, they have to put that as a days away from work or restricted. Mm -hmm. And that was a dramatic decrease, about 60%, which is not surprising if you, if you take the assumption that work hours were down in 2020 compared to prior years. But um, counter to that, we saw fatalities only decreasing 10%. So that tells you that, um, and then that's the fatality rate. So that tells you that um, there, was, there was less injuries and less days away from work, but the very, very serious injuries did not get replaced. In fact, they stayed fairly constant, only decreasing 10%. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, I guess compared to 2019, which was, you know, a quote unquote normal year, uh, and, and 2020 was obviously, uh, you know, in the middle or the beginning of the, uh, the pandemic. Um, mm. Were you surprised at anything you found, uh, you know, I guess factoring in, you know, the fact that, you know, there weren't be maybe as many people working as, as the previous year? Um, you know, outside of the um, the fact that fatalities remained high, that was probably the biggest area of surprise, um, of surprising information. Um, you know, I'd say, I think, you know, just overall, you know, the incident rates continue to trend down. That I guess that's something we've been seeing overall. So nothing really surprising. I, I'd say it wasn't necessarily surprising, but sort of validating on one of the assumptions that we have and that I think many organizations have come to the conclusion of is that the things that companies do to reduce incidents or the kind of normal bumps and bruises um, haven't necessarily led to the um, corresponding reductions on the most serious incidents. And so um, that's a kind of key takeaway is that you can't just treat all incidents alike and you can't use the same mitigation efforts. And um, to, uh, to me, that's one of the, the kind of key points to understand with this analysis. Why do you see the, the what do you think the SIF rate was, has been going up? Um, is, there, is there like a certain uh, cause that you can point to or is it a, a number of uh, factors? Yeah, well, um, you know, I guess it comes down to, you know, organizations, some, I mean, some organizations have done a great job with it. So there's definitely the possibility, but it's just a more challenging, um, it's a more challenging effort to reduce SIFs than maybe, um, maybe some of the other um, incidents that you can reduce. And the and if you look at the data, um, I think that's sort of telling that if you look at the industries that have the leading um, SIP trends, construction by far and away is the leader in that. And so I think that is a little bit of a piece to the story. So if you think about the nature of the work done in construction, you have lots of complexity, you have uh, contractors, subcontractors working on sites, potentially unfamiliar with those sites. You have working from heights, which we all know to be a, a large cause of injuries and SIFs. <clears throat> you have um, seasonal nature of work, you have pressures to get job done. Um, and so the, a lot of the data kind of fill that story. So what that says is that like areas like construction, uh, the things that we've, that we've done to reduce incidents across an industry or across an entire large set of work hours doesn't necessarily apply to some of that high pressure, high demand work. And then you think about COVID specifically, people being out for work or sicknesses, there's a lot of ways to get disqualified from showing up to a job site through exposure and what have you, uh, which means you might have a, a propensity to have more short service employers or people that were less familiar or less skilled in this specific trade, which leads to potentially catastrophic results. Um, so what are some things organizations can do to reduce SIFs? Yeah. 
We, um, you know, in talking with our customers, I think one of the things we always recommend is to get um, to get better data. I think that's a um, I think that's kind of key. And one of the the sort of key elements of information that you want to collect on is is being able to have um, information on potential SIFs. So when something doesn't happen, but it could have happened, are you capturing that kind of information as a leading indicator versus looking at incidents that have happened and trying to reduce incidents? So I think it's it's really about collecting some of that information. Um, another challenge that industry has is just having a standard definition. So ISN uses an, an OSHA definition for it, but not everyone in, a, in the industry have aligned on a definition which makes benchmarking and other things more uh, challenging. So companies can't even work together. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, for, from my perspective and my experience, focusing on safety culture and developing strong safety culture or just culture in general that embraces safety uh, is key. And there's some, there's some methods that, that we would recommend around how to do that. But that, to me, are some of the key elements. Uh, speaking of safety culture, what's sort of your take on the state of safety culture right now and what needs to be done to improve it? Yeah, you know, I think I think there's some maybe potential benefits out of COVID um, in that there's been an emphasis on, you know, health and safety and understanding. It's sort of more of a household topic than it has been in the past. PPE is an example. You know, we all know mm -hmm. about masks and those types of things. Um, but, um, you know, I think organizations that, um, you know, the practices that, that I've seen that have made companies effective in building a strong safety culture are not, you know, revolutionary ideas related to management, but they take time and focus and continued focus. And so, um, the things that I would, that we would recommend is first you have, um, an organizational culture that has the ability, the tools and the ability to report on things like potential SIFs. So yeah, what is your, your reporting um, culture itself as a subculture within the organization. And, and one of the things that's gonna determine whether people do that is whether there's repercussions for reporting something like, I almost got hurt severely on this job. Am I gonna be blamed for that or is that gonna right. be taken into account? Um, so when you have that element, that's a key foundation. The second part is in order to keep that going, you've gotta take that information and, and take action on it. And that action includes leadership. Leadership has to be committed <clears throat> to taking some of those uh, some of the, that feedback or that reporting and, and doing something about it. And then uh, when, you're, when you're planning on doing something or making adjustments, how can you uh, engage the people that are doing the work in the process improvements itself, which then creates a virtuous cycle for um, that reporting culture again, because you're sort of becoming more self-aware and understanding of the environment you're involved in the, in the decisions that are made on what to change. And so if you have all of those elements together, you're gonna see a much stronger uh, culture overall um, related to safety, and I, I would be fairly certain that you're going to see improved performance as well in less incident. Yeah, employee engagement has definitely been, uh, you know, sort of a term that I've heard a lot lately about, you know, sort of getting uh, your workers kind of more involved in, in safety and, uh, you know, how, what are some sort of ways that companies can do that to, to really, you know, improve employee engagement and safety? Yeah. Well, um, you know, I think we've all been through the toolbox talks and those kinds of things and understand that. I still think that's, you know, important, right? So, you know, working, you know, pre-job planning and communication, those types of things. But um, one of the things I think that gets neglected sometimes is that a lot of the work environments, construction is a great example, is that you have a mix of workforce. You have 
contractors and uh, you have employees, you have, um, you know, temp workers, those types of things. And um, I think a lot of organizations are heavily focused on engaging their direct employees, but do a poor job of actually communicating with contractors. You know, and if you think about the contractor population, a lot of these companies are five, 10 person companies. They're not, you know, a 50,000 or 10,000 employee company where there's executive relationships and a lot of communication. So um, it's hard. And so I think having, you have to really think about your workforce in totality and make sure you're engaging the entire workforce. You have the right tools for them to be able to communicate um, and that you're constantly having leadership on the, on job sites, understanding and asking and trying to get better. And, you know, obviously uh, it seems like, you know, these kinds of programs work a lot better when, you know, it's coming, you know, you're getting that sort of push from leadership as well. Um, how important mm -hmm. is leadership buy-in and how hard is it to get? Yeah. Um, I, it's, it depends. It, it depends. Some organizations are you're just more inclined than others, but I think um, it's you know it's particularly in like industrial fields. A lot of it, you know, there's there's safety's in, in interested, right? They're they're uh, naturally inclined to get it. It's really when when operations and the people that control the P and L that really understand and work as in partnership with safety, or that they're under the same umbrella. I think that makes a big difference. Um, one of the things that, you know, that we found to be effective, so you need constant feedback, constant information, but you also need a periodic review and a step, a step back and look at it. So like, uh, you know, example, when we do an, uh, an annual or every two years culture assessment, it's not going to tell you everything that's going to happen in six months, mm -hmm. but what it does do is it for, it's a process to force leadership to kind of step back and look at the data and understand it. And so while it, you know, it's not perfectly reliable to predict what's going to happen, the, the act of sort of getting engaged and stepping back and understanding, I think, builds some engagement. So those are some techniques that are useful in, um, in getting leadership to be engaged. It, it, do, it does, data helps, particularly in this day and age. Um, one, of, one of the things I noticed in, uh, in the report um, was a section on uh, identification of leading indicators. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what leading indicators are and how they can be useful um, yeah. for organizations. Yeah, so we, uh, one of the things that we'll do is we look at um, organizations that had um, higher or lower SIF rates relative to peers within sectors. And then we look at um, the specific, um, some specific things that they had that correlated with those groups, uh, the groups that had high incidents, what, what were the, some of the elements they had and the ones that low and, and vice versa. And so what you, what you end up getting is some, um, some insights that can be useful in not necessarily things you can prevent. So I'll give you an example. 69% um, of the companies with higher SIF rates, classified as higher, operated a, a commercial motor vehicle. Um, that's, you know, that's not necessarily something you can avoid, but what that does tell you is that commercial operating commercial vehicles presents lots of risk to job sites and mm -hmm. to the safety of individuals. Um, there are other things though, like, uh, as an example, in the same analysis, the 35%, uh, 35% of the companies with lower SIF rates had, um, submitted a program for safe return to work. So. That tells you that potentially integrating people back into the workforce after they've been away 
is an area to be concerned with and what you know what are you doing in, on the on the job sites to kind of manage and plan around that so do you have a policy and program in place does that include your contractors and subcontractors or is there consideration for that in your job planning analysis that you're doing prior to work starting um, and and do you see a lot of companies doing this kind of data analysis or do you feel like that's somewhere that um, you know the industry needs to move into where you know you need more companies need to kind of be looking at this stuff as opposed to just looking at past incidents yeah i think we're we're getting better um there's always there's a lot of i've you know in my time here at isn i've heard you know lots of, i've had lots of discussions about capturing leading indicators and being better there i think um you know one of the things that an organization like us and in for some of your listeners their tech providers can do is provide uh, ability for industry to benchmark and work together and look at the information and understand how to interpret it. So we, one of the things that we try to do to bring it forward is annual, at least annually, we work with, we, we meet with the executive teams of our clients and we present this information and we prevent, present benchmarking information to help drive decisions and, and keep them aware of how they compare. So I think you're, I think companies can help a lot. You you do need somebody that has a large view to the world that you can use to kind of understand where you sit, and how you compare. And would you say that, um, you know, kind of, obviously, you've, you know, you've been doing this for a while and, you know, uh, based on sort of what you've seen in the recent years, are things, you know, looking uh, promising for the future in terms of, you know, reducing these kinds of incidents? Do you feel like companies are becoming more aware of, you know, kind of, what they need to do and, and how to how to get the proper results. Yeah, I, I do. I think uh, I think some of the some of the you know discussions that I've seen in the areas like the National Safety Council and Campbell Institute are around um, you know some interesting areas of science like human organizational uh, performance where we're starting to make more fault tolerant systems and thinking more scientifically about things. I do think that's gonna make a difference. I think technology will obviously can can play a bigger role, uh, continue to help. Um, you know, obviously as, as tasks can be eliminated, then safety incidents can can be removed. But I but there but it's it's gonna take continued in investment in the people ultimately uh, to to really move things all the way down the right direction. So the fact that, you know, SIFs have become a much bigger area of focus over the past few years means that we're gonna get our hands around it at some point. I am optimistic that organizations will get there. Excellent, well, Joe, I wanna thank you for joining me today. This has been, uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, thank you. All right. That wraps up episode 97 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen on demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisory.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope to join me next time. Mm-hmm.